You're listening to Widowed Ear with Rosie Gilmoss and Lucinda Boast. We've invited some members of the world's most exclusive club to bravely share their stories. Join us for some honest conversations about living a different life, the crushing lows, the surprising highs and everything in between. Please note this is a podcast about death. Carefully read the episode descriptions and be kind to yourself. But for now, welcome to our podcast. Let us begin. Hi everyone, welcome back to episode six now of Widowed AF. You're joining myself, Lucinda Boast, and my lovely co-host, Rosie Gilmoss. Hello everybody, thanks ever so much for listening again. And we are pretty astonished really that we're still doing this uh, episode six really. We weren't sure we'd get past episode one, were we? But uh, here we are. No, we weren't. That's amazing really. I mean, we've had a quite a week, haven't we, Rose? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been uh, it's been it's been really cool, really, really cool. We've been, people have sort of been stopping us in the streets, uh, talking about podcasts. And, and then I was at the swimming pool with my daughter and a stranger came over and asked if she'd seen on the television. So I, I'm guessing this is a little bit what Rihanna feels like. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's very, very similar to um, that A-list celebrity vibe, actually, at the moment my life. Uh, very, very similar. In my daughter's bedroom with all the laundry out of shot as we record this. <laughs> We've had some amazing engagement on our social media as well. I mean, I'm still teaching myself in terms of posting, so some of it can be a bit clunky. But some of the comments that we've had um, have been so positive and the number of people who have got something from our podcast is amazing. People who haven't lost um their partners and family members. It's amazing, isn't it, Rosie? Yeah, it really is. It's it's reaching out to people in a way that we we never anticipated, but it would appear that there is a need for this sort of authenticity and honesty um, around death because it is an inevitable part of life, but it is one that we're very afraid of talking about. And particularly the more unsavoury aspects, you know, particularly we talked, um, John talked very candidly about uh, Sarah in, in our last episode. And, you know, how uh, the impact that cancer has on on the, the person themselves, you know how it, it kind of the person that you love kind of leaves that body way before they they actually die, and and I think that's it's quite um, it, that's the sort of stuff that's been kept in the dark. We haven't been talking about it, so yeah, hopefully this is going to really change the dialogue. And, and so many people have reached out to John, particularly, um, and lots of men reaching out to him. I think having a male perspective on on grief was it was so valuable. Definitely. I know we both worried, didn't we, about some of the detail that was going to be shared. Mm. Looking back, we had no need to worry because actually people who have supported someone through cancer, particularly at the end when it's all very scary and shocking, um, it's given them comfort to hear somebody else's experience and kind of paved the way for them to talk about it too. Yeah, this is what we're through in. Is this is the more you know the stuff that the, the kind of more unpalatable aspects of it are the things that people don't talk about. So you then end up wondering and feeling, is it just me? Um, and that you know it all comes down to that isolation, that loneliness, and and the shame. You know, I, I wang on about shame all the time and and how it really does thrive in the dark. But yeah, I mean, even we've we've had the most gorgeous message from Sarah's sister and some of her friends who have all just kind of thank John really for the way uh the way he spoke about her so so eloquently and and with so much love and I think 
I do think that it's he's I've seen a huge difference in him since the episode went out. It's like a new kind of lighter. Yeah, it's yeah, everybody that's done it so far is having it's having this kind of freeing effect on them. Which so good. Yeah, I met somebody this week actually, uh, a lady who uh, had filled an application to come on the podcast and then was having some reservations about it. Uh, and I met with her. We had a really lovely coffee and a, a really kind of in-depth chat about it. And she came away feeling quite reassured that, you know, we will handle the, the, the story very sensitively. So we are going to be actually recording her, I think it's next week. So, okay, it's, it's amazing that the people that we're getting to meet and the conversations that we're getting to have and, and, and some of the interviews that we have lined up for you guys are going to just blow your minds completely. They are. And actually... I've been reflecting because I'm I'm really conscious that my journey is quite unique in that I have a lot of anger and hatred towards my mm-hmm. husband. Um, but it's been really heartwarming to me to talk to people who still love the people that they've lost so deeply. And that's such a strong theme that's coming out of these is that however many years we are down the line, you still love the person that you've lost and you've still got the capacity to love again. Yeah, it is. The human heart is, is something amazing. I can remember when I was pregnant with my second child and, you know, hormonal, obviously, sobbing to my mum saying, well, oh, my God, another baby as much as the first one. And she just said to me, you, you just do. There's no, you can't explain it. You just do. And, yeah, it is. You, the heart has this capacity to expand and it is, it's, a, it's a miraculous organ, isn't it? We've also had some interesting questions via our direct messages, which we always encourage. If there are questions in anywhere in your mind that you want to ask either of us, please do, because um, we love engaging with you. And one of them has been, can you explain the term widow's fire to us <laughs> non-widows? <laughs> because we talk about widow's fire, like because we're very familiar with the term and we're very conscious now that people who have not been through this experience probably don't know what we're talking about uh do you want to take this one race no i don't actually but <laughs> uh mom you might want to not listen to this one um so widow's fire it is a phenomenon that nobody really understands and again nobody really speaks about because and again it, it does have a lot of shame and and uh, guilt associated with it basically um it seems to be fairly universal among, among uh, widows, particularly the ones we know, uh, that you basically get a bit randy after your partner dies. And there's no real rhyme or reason for it. And it's um, it feels completely inappropriate because you're so sad and your heart's broken and yet you have these kind of feelings. <laughs> God, I'm trying not to regret it. No, you're doing really well. That kind of yearning and it's... For physical connection as well, isn't it? It is, and it sort of manifests in a um, a sexual urge. Um, and again, I you know have this, and I can remember ordering some um, uh, uh, pers- intimate. <laughs> Let's say the word. You all know what I mean. I don't have to say. Do. And then hiding the packaging in a public bin because my parents were staying with me at the time and I was so mortified that they might see it in the bin and, and think, what on earth is wrong with her? And it was only when I discovered, you know, you guys really and my friends and we we talked about it. And actually, it was one of the things that set up our offshoot group, which was called Widow's Fireplace, wasn't it? Because it was somewhere that we could safely discuss these feelings and without, you know, predatory men or and without judgment but I've had friends, you know, recoil and disgust at some, you know, 
when I've mentioned it because they cannot fathom how you can have sexual urges while you're grieving and but you do and you know it is a it is a part of the grief process and again it is not something there's any realistic explanation for there's got to be a it's got to be a scientific term I surely it needs to be made probably well, you want widow's fire in the medical dictionary. Yeah, along with grief horn. I mean, we could start a petition. <laughs> but no, I think you explained that really well, <laughs> Thank you for navigating that one. You're, welcome. Um, You're getting the next difficult one. What's on the next question? <laughs> Don't pick out easy. <laughs> so kind of leading on from that, a lot of people asked how soon either of us thought about dating and finding someone after losing our husband's. Um, I know for me, I, I wasn't ready for a long time. Mm-hmm. It kind of hit around the two-year mark for me because I was dealing with all the complicated grief bullshit first. Yeah. Um, once I'd gotten over that, I was ready, you know. It just turned out that I met a complete loser and that put me off again for another year or so. But yeah, did it. <laughs> but for you, it was different, wasn't it? You met John, I don't know. Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, again, in the spirit of being authentic and honest, um, I do remember having a little look on the apps. Um, have a sort of morbid curiosity more than anything, because they didn't exist when I met Ben. It, you know, it, the world is very different now to uh, the world it was back in my, my 20s. Um, and my God, what a cesspit. It really is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was... No, I was obviously very much not ready as well. Um, I was sort of led by the physical things. Um, and yes, I met John, but we were friends and it, it, it was quite organic. And, you know, neither of us were at all at the place where we were really thinking certainly about serious relationships. But I always sort of say that, you know, what was I meant to do? Say to him, OK, there's obviously something here, but let's, re- let's come back in a year. Because that... It, it, we might not have a year, you know, you, you don't know what's around the corner. And I genuinely believe that if, if the opportunity to be loved and to love again uh, crosses your path, then you grab onto it and you don't let go because love is what makes us human. And, you know, we all deserve love. And actually nobody deserves love more than somebody who's had their heart broken like we have. Well said. I mean, I guess I let the ship sail a little bit and I feel now you know, I'm an independent woman now and I'd, I'd embrace that. But I'd love to find that love that you talk about again. I really would. But obviously, it's a more complicated landscape for me. Um, but that's all right. I'm happy as I am, you know. I said I disagree then when you said I'm an independent woman. That was inappropriate timing. I, I meant I disagree with you having um, missed the boat because I think that you've been on an enormous journey of self-discovery. And, you know, the no-no that from even just a year ago is very different to who you are now. And I think perhaps you needed to work on your relationship with yourself. Look, we've come a long way since talking about sex, haven't we? Um, and, and you needed to kind of, I don't know, I, it's a pretty cheesy expression then, to love yourself or at least accept yourself first before and you would be ready to allow somebody into your life. And I think also, you know, you, your relationship with Scarlett is so precious and you have to be very careful of anybody that you would involve. And you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it, and it is a minefield because you're not talking about you know, if a relationship was tend to break down, it's not just your heart that's damaged, did it? It's your your child or your children. So yeah, it is tricky. And you know, John and I went through some real soul searching conversations, and it was always if the children weren't happy, then they we would have to walk away from this, no matter how painful it was. Um, I mean, the same does not apply now. If they if they're just to be yes, if they're just annoyed with one of us. Um, that's really yeah. interesting, actually, Rose, because a strong theme in the questions for you 
was um, people asking what some of the biggest challenges have been for you guys in blending your families together. Yeah, I think probably um, the fact they were quite young has really helped because I don't think I'd fancy trying to introduce teenagers to a new relationship. I, I That sounds pretty grim, actually, from what I've heard. Um and yeah, it helped that the kids, you know, particularly um, my middle my middle son Hector and and John's daughter Holly, they they formed a very tight bond very quickly. So they were like best friends. So they were desperate to see each other all the time. Um, and Tabby was, you know, tiny little baby really. She just adored, you know, this older girl that she could hero worship. Monty, um, he took a little bit longer. He was just a little bit more reserved, maybe. Um, but to be honest with you, COVID kind of forced our hand. Really, we we were thrust into all living together and then John obviously was taken very ill so it kind of condensed this process into a much briefer time but the resulting outcome is that we have a very tight unit it isn't perfect we do have you know four children in the house with very and you know they have all been to a certain extent they have been damaged by what's happened to them you can't hide from that but it's we we do have you know they have counseling if they want it and um we try and sort of push for a, a, this kind of honesty and openness and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but who knows where it's going to go? Because you know Tabitha's at school now, and, and it's it's opening up questions about why she's different. So, yeah, it, I don't think it's ever easy. But you, um, you know, we, we are doing the absolute best, and 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 what we've got is something quite special. It is, and you both worked so hard at it, and I'm so proud of you both and the kids for how they've made your your patchwork family work. Yeah. Yeah, it all works. And I know people ask people. A few people have asked me, "Do you not want to find a dad for your daughter?" And then, um, for a long time, oh, I know, straight in there. For a long time, that was kind of my priority because I felt like my heart had hardened after John died. So I kind of approached the dating apps like, "I've got to find a dad for Scarlett, someone decent." Yeah, almost like shopping. It is. And I met this guy, and I probably wasn't ready even then. But he, you know, he turned up in a suit, nice car, took me to a nice restaurant, and then he presented. This restaurant happened to have hotel rooms, and having had a lovely breakfast together, he then presented me with the menu of hotel rooms and casually suggested that we get a room. What first date? <laughs> first date, presumptuous. I know. So that's, and then he ended up also being married um, with a pregnant wife. So I thought. Having my heart already been, you know, ripped out of my chest, I thought, is this is this what I'm going to get now? Are all men really like this? I know they're not. I really do. But but for you, it's kind of easy to see why you would think that. And, and you know, unfortunately, within the, the dating app uh, pond, you do see it is, does seem to be a sort of breeding ground for these sorts of men. And um, we as, you know, widows, we, we are vulnerable, you know, and we do need handling with care. But... Um, it doesn't feel like the dating world at the moment is 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 a, a kind place, and I do think often widows do end up in relationships with other widows. Um, it, it, so I don't know whether it's because we have this unique understanding, or whether you see that kind of fragile heart in each other, and you know will protect. But that said, there's some fairly shitty widows out there as well. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just because you've been widowed does not make you a saint. Absolutely, oh, we've known some wrongs, haven't we? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, but people mention some cracking gaffes as well. You know, we talk about the awkward things that people say after you've lost your loved one. 
And um, I had one myself the other day when I was in the co-op and Rosie knows about this. <laughs> in the co-op, and this woman came in and she'd obviously just had a row with her partner. And she looked at me and she went, my husband, you know, you know, sometimes you love him, but you just want to kill him. And I said to her, mine's already dead. So yay, one less problem for me. <laughs> Everyone in the shop stopped and stared at me. And I was the only one laughing. Yeah, it's that dark humour, my friend. You've got to get oh, your kicks where you can. You really have. But yeah, no, keep those coming because honestly, it's hilarious. People comparing losing husbands to dogs. Oh, yes, yes. That's my, my personal favourite. In fact, the um, the uh, family liaison officer who came to my house, uh, <laughs> Ben was still considered missing, compared it to her lost dog charity, which was, which was lovely. Wow. Yeah, but my mum sort of almost almost escorted her off the premises at that point. <laughs> and we've also, off, our kids have started picking up on what we're doing, haven't we, Haven't they? And it's, it maybe stirred up some feelings amongst them and questions. And I know they're all really proud of us, but they it, it's hard for them too, isn't it? Because yeah. they're reliving it through us. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, I sat with Holly this morning and I just, I don't know what prompted it to happen, maybe because I knew we were recording today. And I just said to her, when you're a little bit older, I'm going to get you to listen to the um, episode that your dad recorded with us. I said, because I just want you to hear that how much love for your mum there was in his voice. And and you could just see her little face light up. And I thought, oh, I see this. Is, we're not just doing it for us and for our widow community. We're doing it for our children as a legacy for them. And I think they are proud. They are. I mean, my son Hector is, you know, obsessed with YouTube and things like that. And he he can't get his head over the fact that we were on the news and um, and that we were in the newspaper. So yeah, they it's blowing their tiny little minds, isn't it? And and I want them to be proud of of us. And I do. I want at some point for them to be able to listen back and hear, you know, how hard we we fought for them and and how much we loved them. Absolutely, and also. It's you talking about Holly and um, being so happy to hear how much her dad loved her mum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important as well for kids to know that they were created out of a really, really loving environment and a loving relationship. And even for me, Scarlett was, you know, John and I were very, very happy together for a long time. I know I still have anger towards him, but we were in love. We were in a lovely little bubble and she was, you know, made out of love. And I do want her to know that too. Yeah. And as she gets older, you will be able to have these conversations because the other thing is, you know, as you, the more you talk about it, your anger begins to dissipate. So you are going to be in a place where you're better positioned to be able to talk about the good times without the resentment and, and the anger clouding everything. That's so true. Because, you know, the Friday that I went on Radio Suffolk mm-hmm. and, and told my story. Sorry, I what next thing. <laughs> no, sorry, but... That evening, I picked Scarlett up from school and took her to McDonald's. And that's the freest I've felt for so long. And she's gone going through a bit of a difficult phase at the moment. Very highly strung and very gobby. <laughs> strong personality. Totally blame her dad for that. Oh, yeah. That evening, she was just buzzing. And then I realised she was feeding off my positive energy. Mm-hmm. And then I also felt, I felt guilty because I thought, oh, when I'm stressed, you know, that impacts her mood too. Um yeah, but that's motherhood. That that's motherhood. That's not exclusive to us. You know, they I can see a difference actually, and even just like photos that you've sent of her. You know, you both look like you're just kind of really embracing life again, which is beautiful to see. Yeah, so good. So I suppose we better talk about 
uh, our next episode, which will be episode seven. Wow. Okay. So we have already recorded this episode. It is an incredibly moving conversation with a young woman called Jess, who was unbelievably widowed twice before she was 30. So it is Obviously, it's going to be um, a, a tear-jerking one, but it's also got moments of humour and hope within it. So I very much hope that you will be tuning in to listen to that on Monday. People are going to really, really love Jess's story. And honestly, even though what she's been through is horrific, the positivity and the strength in that woman's voice will blow you away. She's incredible. She's a, a solo parent for Amazing Kids. She's got two dogs, God knows how many cats. She <laughs> runs this household. She's a she's a superhero. Yeah, she has. She's really cool. You're gonna love her, honestly. Uh, it's a real testament to um human resilience and strength, isn't it? It, it, it it's a uh, if you didn't know it was true, you wouldn't believe it. So, so true. So that will be available from, I think, five in the morning on Monday via your usual places you get your podcasts. Um, Until then, have a good week, guys, and we will see you soon. Thank you so much, everyone. Speak to you all soon. Bye. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back with you soon for more from the front line of loss. But for now, as you were.